0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armor All, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armor All products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com armorall less work
0: more clean terms apply you're listening to the we are libertarians podcast network find all of our shows at we hey welcome to the program we have one that man everybody's feeling this one everybody's curious whose fault is it why is gas so high Uh, And we are lucky and fortunate to have Roy Matthews here, who is a public policy associate at the Alliance for Innovation and Infrastructure. He's there in Arlington, Virginia, close to the belly of the beast. And he's previously been published in Real Clear Energy, National Review, and National Interest, three publications that I really like. He's also a Young Voices contributor... Roy, um, who wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I really love energy policy and I'm going to study it. Is that your main study? How did you start to focus on this?
1: Well, I focus on energy, infrastructure, technology, and innovation. And the current energy crisis we are experiencing has a little bit of all that wrapped into it. Um, But I first got interested um, working up in Maine uh, where I went to college and there was a lot of renewable energy pushes there that I got involved in. Some good, some bad, um, but it's actually a very, very interesting area to be involved in. Uh,
0: Now, are you just one of these, uh, you know, Koch brother apologists, or do you, how how do you come down on climate change and uh, renewable energy and... You know, kind of tilt your, show us a little bit of your bias, if you will. Show us where you're, that you're not just some Exxon shill that is just <laughs> out there swimming like, you know, dark duck in, uh, or not dark winged duck, in the, the gold mine.
1: <laughs> well, um, I will say that if I was an, an ExxonMobil uh, apologist, I would certainly be getting paid like one. But um, that's not a shot at all at my employer. I love what I do. Um, but look, uh, climate change is real. It is uh, dangerous to the United States, um, and renewable energy does have a lot of interesting uh, niches that it can fill within the national energy grid, Um, but forcing an energy transition right now as we're coming out of a pandemic where the economy has been shut down is just not good timing at all. The batteries, uh, you might have heard for the lithium-ion batteries, the batteries are still a main sticking point for a lot of these energy companies, because energy naturally atrophies over time. So getting the machinery and the technology to be able to store energy effectively without it um, solely atrophying over time will be the key there. Um, but right now, um, gas prices are as high as they are because the federal government is trying to force an energy transition right now wow, we're not exactly ready for it.
0: Yeah, no, I I have, so I think it's interesting, whenever you talk to somebody who kind of studies energy policy, they all say some somewhat of the same thing, and being a libertarian, I have no idea if you work for a Koch brother, so I apologize if I accidentally insulted anybody, but no um, you, you are always surprised when you talk to somebody at a libertarian or conservative think tank in the energy policy sector, and they all say what you just said. Yeah, green energy plays a role. There is a future for us that may not be this or that. But you can't just do it all at once. And that seems to be at the heart of this. And we're, we're told by, I mean, Joe Biden is making a run for, his, uh, for, for Donald Trump's money in terms of being the most gaslighting president of all time. Um, we're told it's just the Exxon executives that are raking in profits, and I definitely want to touch on that, you know, the day after the American Petroleum Institute comes out and says, here's what Joe Biden could specifically do, and then Joe Biden the next day blames them. Um, let's just start at the beginning when it comes to fuel prices and uh, kind of clear up some of these myths. Like, let, let's just start in the ground, all right? What is, what is causing the increase? Because I don't know enough I know that it was cheaper under Trump and it was expensive under Obama and now a democrat's in office and it's expensive again. So something somewhere somebody must be doing something, right Roy?
1: Absolutely. So uh, this is a bit long-winded but I'll try and keep it as short and sweet and digestible as possible. Um so obviously the COVID-19 pandemic led to an economic lockdown and with that uh industries scaled back their production specifically for oil and gas. No one was traveling. Um, the transportation sector was not transporting goods back and forth across the country. Um, And then President Biden comes into office, and in 2021, um, he signed an executive order that banned all oil and gas exploration on public lands, uh, pending a review of both the legal system behind the permitting and leasing process, as well as any environmental factors that may um, work into the current permitting and leasing process. So this resulted in Permits and leases being canceled around the country um, and people losing a lot of money over it. Um, several yeah, this is the attorneys-
0: administration that said that they were going to end fossil fuels. I mean, Joe well, Biden literally said that throughout 2020. And so he, his first actions are to limit the eva- amount of places you can explore, basically. Is that correct?
1: Yes, and so several state attorney generals in the Gulf states, mostly, uh, successfully sued the Biden administration and were granted an injunction uh, to go through with several leases for oil and gas exploration in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, but a week after this injunction was granted, the uh, Department of the Interior issued these recommendations that Biden's executive executive order um, ordered for this the, uh, the review of the permitting and leasing process. And here's what the recommendation said, and I quote, limiting the number of leases available for uh, oil and gas exploration. So we're going to shrink the amount of leases that the federal government is willing to give folks to explore oil and gas. Um, also shrink the amount of land available for exploration. So we're taking all of this land that was previously um, open for oil and oil and gas exploration, and we're shrinking that even more. Um, and additionally, they raised both federal royalty rates and bond payments for energy producers. So what this all means is... Essentially, they are, there, are much, there are less leases available for oil and gas exploration, and it is also much more expensive on less land. So now investors, say if you and I were investing in a single oil well somewhere in the United States, not only have we lost all that money because the government pulled out our permits and leases from under us, and each oil and gas well is at, at bare minimum a million dollars. Yeah, much, it
0: makes it a bad amount. investment. Like- yeah, who's who's wanting to run to crypto right now for a parallel <laughs> um is that why they're, is that why they're showing a, a large amount of profits because there's nowhere for that money to go necessarily so they're just kind of hoarding cash is that why the profits of these oil companies swell and that's it's just kind of sitting there without somewhere to go
1: well i'm not sure about the actual profits for the oil companies i do know that this um first off the obviously revoking the permitting leasing scares a lot of investors, but you also have a lot of unofficial pressure, most notably from uh, the presidential, I believe the special envoy for climate, John Kerry, who is going around and persuading financial institutions and other companies to divest from fossil fuels and go into renewables, um, as well as energy secretary Granholm. Um, I believe she was on CNN this past week. Um, stating that while we do want these companies to increase um, production now, five to 10 years from now, we're still going to be pushing uh, renewable energy. So on one hand, you're telling these companies, we need your products right now. But on the other hand, you're saying we are going to put you out of business in five to 10 years. And if I'm an investor or if I'm working for a refinery and oil company, what do I what do? I do? I'm do? i going to be run out of business in five to 10 years. So why? Why should I listen to the government if they're just going to cancel my permits and leases anyway?
0: Yeah, that's been a feature of Democratic presidents. I mean, that was a huge problem with the economy under Barack Obama's that companies didn't really know what regulations would be passed, when, where, who, what, how. It was all sort of uh, what. And Joe Biden has kind of put that on steroids. He it, governing for Twitter is a really terrible way to actually govern or really run a business too. Um, so th- th- that that's interesting. So they limit the amount of exploration. They limit the amount of these leases. There's unpredictability when it comes to, uh, the lease process. And <laughs> so then once you actually get the oil out and you ship it to refineries, what happens in the next step that the government is causing, uh, some of these shortages.
1: So this is where some of the controversy comes in because, um, the current, refinery capacity in the United States has not been updated since 1977. Um, that was the last time a major refinery was built in this country. Um, that was Marathon Petroleum's Garyville, Louisiana facility. These refineries can produce hundreds of thousands of barrels per day, and an economy is vast, and the country is vast. the United States, you need that sort of capacity in order to make up for supply, right? Uh, but in recent years, there's been a shift towards building condensate splitters, which are Smaller, less sophisticated, and cheaper facilities that only produce tens of thousands of barrels a day. And while that might not seem like much, producing tens of thousands of barrels a day does not do anything to address um, the need or, um, or increase the supply of oil and gas in this country. And um, furthermore, if refineries obviously need to turn a profit to be able to keep themselves in business. So at refineries, they determine what they produce. So right now, since gas is very, very high, they can say for a single barrel of oil, hypothetically speaking, we can have three fourths of this barrel be unleaded gasoline because that's going to, that's some of the most economical decision for us. And a fourth of that be diesel, which obviously makes diesel prices jump even more. Um, so that contributes to even less supply. And with 129 total operating oil refineries in the U S we just don't have the capacity right now to produce more. And just the last point, Um, uh, American Petroleum Institute um, issued a letter before uh, Biden recently this week said he would invoke emergency powers to um, increase uh, refinery capacity output, um, stating that most of the refineries in this country are operating at capacity or near at capacity um, for oil and gas. So if we really want more supply, we're going to need to build more refineries. And that is just a whole other ballgame.
0: Yeah, I was just reading this yesterday, actually, um, before you even brought it up. And, and you've talked a lot about it here, but, you know, Lyft, do you know what API is? The American Petroleum Institute, is it, you know, a, a lobbying group for petroleum interests?
1: They are a lobbying group for petroleum interests, but um, they're mostly an industry group. So they help coordinate um, all the different uh, oil and gas companies and help them respond to uh, federal crises
0: like this. Basically, the lying from the (laughs) administration. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes if you want to check out their 10 policies to unleash American energy and fuel recovery. Um, And uh, what was I going to say next? I apologize, Roy. Um, So these refineries, it it all comes down to supply and demand. So they've limited the supply of, of... oil and exploration here in america i guess in my brain it sort of goes back to well we just get oil from saudi arabia and you talked a little bit about this in your national review piece we just go to saudi arabia and venezuela and get more oil because we don't have oil here in america but we're actually a fairly large producer of oil are we not
1: we so i believe under president trump we actually exported more we were the top producer of natural gas in the entire world Um, and liquefied natural gas exports to Europe are a huge part of, um, our economy now that they're sort of turning away from Russian energy. But I mean, besides the obvious, um, moral problems with importing oil from places like Venezuela or Saudi Arabia, um, the Biden administration claims that this will be, uh, more friendly to the environment. Well, in order to put all that oil on a ship, uh, these huge um, tanker ships burn diesel fuel or bunker fuel, as what as it's widely known in the industry. So this just produces more emissions. So it doesn't solve the um, the environmental or emissions problem. It just happens over there in the ocean, so we don't think about it as much. Right. Um, so it's a little bit of an ironic silver lining.
0: Yeah, it takes a lot more energy to get that over here to use than it just does to drill here. And, and he keeps talking about, you know, just ta- every president always taps into the st- strategic reserves. But then you sort of, like, scratch the surface a little bit, and that actually doesn't do anything. It's just, like, for headline purposes, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just a way to sort of placate the crisis. Um, I believe a single—I believe the Northeast um, Petroleum Reserve— um, and I apologize. I keep bringing up the Northeast, but I went to college in Maine, so I know a little bit about this. <laughs> That's okay. Um, that will have enough supplies for maybe one or two days worth <laughs> of oil and gas. Um, and for example, in Maine, where heating oil is a bit is a big importance because it gets very cold up there, those prices are going to fluct- are going to increase even more because it just doesn't do anything for the supply. You need these massive refineries that produce hundreds of thousands of barrels a day to even begin to make a dent in the supply problem.
0: Okay, so you've got supply bottlenecks basically at, at two points here, and you've got a, a lot of increased demand. And I, I had to Google what is diesel versus regular gas before this episode, so I'm relying on your knowledge here. And, and I basically learned diesel just it, it lasts longer, the engines last longer, it burns, it's a little thicker. Um, I guess I never really questioned why there would be two different types of, of gas until now, but it really makes a big difference in, in when these prices go up. For instance, you know, I've talked on the show a little bit about someone in my life that runs a store and their freight last year for a single truck was 3,500 bucks. And this year it's $9,500, you know, close to $10,000. And he's like, nothing else got more expensive than the shipping. And diesel is just completely tied to moving freight, correct? That's that's a big reason why. So we've got this increased demand and this lowered supply thanks to Biden's regulations. And that's sort of why this price is so high.
1: And right. And you have competition, not just from the trucking industry, you have ships, you have trains, you have all these different methods of transportation that need diesel fuel. And you mentioned the supply chain bottlenecks. A lot of these supply chain bottlenecks occur and our major ports, so trains, trucks, all these different modes of transportation are going to these ports and trying to clear these supply chain bottlenecks, and they need fuel. And with this limited supply, that just makes that um, barrel of diesel or that uh, supply of diesel even more expensive to them. Um, they don't even get me started about the fact that people are traveling a lot more now. People are starting to go on vacation. Airlines have more are having seeing more passengers, they need jet fuel too. Jet fuel is also produced via, via these refineries. So the capacity of the refineries is also under strain because, like I said, if it's more economical for you to produce gasoline, you're going to produce more gasoline, and all the other fuel distillates tend to get, fall by the wayside. Um, so it's really uh, – the punches don't stop um, mm-hmm. when it comes to these uh, capacity problems.
0: So when – all the supply, you know, it'll probably take a year, two, three years for, you know, hopefully (laughs) for all of these supply and demand issues to sort of even out after the disruption of 2020. Does that mean that diesel starts to settle back down?
1: I think it will be elevated for the foreseeable future. I mean, so this, um, so this restrict, these restrictions by the Biden administration come at a time, like I said before, when industry is starting to ramp up, if industry can't ramp up production because regulations are getting in the way, well, then they have to divert resources to find other ways to ramp up production. And the average, I mean, the average medium-sized refinery in this country would take about five to seven years to build, and the costs range from five billion to ten billion dollars. So, we're going to be seeing at least in terms of diesel an elevated diesel prices for at least the foreseeable future.
0: Oof! All right. Well, what what am I missing in terms of all this? Have I forgotten to ask you any any questions that I wouldn't know to ask you? What's some good information that that maybe I've missed here?
1: I don't believe so.
0: Well, um, I think the... he, I think Roy just said I'm a very competent host, so I'll, I'll tell yeah. You. We rolled through everything. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, it's it doesn't uh, it's not necessarily hopeful. Um, you know, does this. I guess the point in in uh, the Biden administration is, is to fuel innovation in other places. Is that necessarily happening? Like, do you see a lot of innovation in other places? Like, well, I, I mean, when you see Chevrolet and Ford come out and basically say we're moving to an electric future, I guess that pushes a lot of innovation. Can we thank a lot of these regulations for that? Is there not a silver lining for all the statism, Roy?
1: Well, there is a bit of silver lining. Um, you know, innovation will happen whether the government likes it or not, right? And these car companies that are moving towards more electric vehicles, these electric vehicles will still need a power source, whether that be burning burning diesel or burning biofuels, right? They still need a, an energy source, um, and while that. It may seem um, beneficial for the environment to just force everyone to transition to electric cars. A lot of these larger um, methods of transportation, so I keep going back to trucks and ships, these are massive, massive machines, and they need a lot of energy-dense energy sources. Um, So that's why diesel is so important because, like you said, it's thicker, it lasts longer, you can go... Um, further on a gallon of diesel than uh, on a a single charge from a lithium ion battery. So while it's beneficial for say folks like you and me who drive to work every day um, in terms of actually transporting heavy freight, um, the electric car, I guess, um, I guess trend is I, I highly doubt it's going to be as beneficial to logistics, supply chains, the transportation industry. And that's one of the major barriers to them.
0: Right. So basically, we still need the uh, the diesel engine, the diesel truck, because we haven't solved the long-distance range towing issues with the batteries yet. But that day will come, because there's certainly a lot of people interested in making money off of that idea, which is the point of capitalism. Um, can, Isn't there a tax on, uh, on diesel that he can pull? I, I remember maybe something from your piece or some of my research that... you know here in indiana everybody's mad at eric holcomb because eric holcomb could get rid of the gas taxes we have one of the highest gas taxes in the country because of the single largest tax increase on hoosiers passed by a republican a couple years ago um for the gas tax he's not willing to do it he's going to fight inflation though by sending a billion dollars to hoosiers and everybody's going to get a 250 fifty dollar check haven't learned our lesson um but Are not there national taxes on the on the two versions of of gasoline that he could roll back today and just temporarily cancel if he wanted to?
1: That is that is one potential fix. So the federal government has an excise tax for on highway diesel fuel. That is 24, essentially 24 cents a gallon. Um, This tax has essentially persisted, um, despite the fact that diesel fuel is has a better miles per gallon ratio, which equates to less carbon emissions. So uh, the president and the administration could get rid of that tax and still ch- go back to their base and say, this, this is an environmentally sound uh, proposition. Um, why they haven't done that, I don't have an answer for you. <laughs>
0: uh, all right, Roy. Well, thank you so much. Tell people the shameless self-promotion time. Where can they follow your work?
1: Uh, so... Um, you can go to org to see my pieces and my colleagues pieces. That's AI.org for Alliance for Innovation and
0: Infrastructure.
1: Uh, I am on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, my Twitter handle is your boy Roy with an underscore in between, uh, your boy. Um, and I made it when I was a teenager. So I apologize <laughs> for the
0: professionalism. <laughs> we are not professional um, here. Do not worry.
1: Yeah. And you can check out uh, my young voices tab at youngvoicesorg slash talent, where you can find all sorts of, uh, podcast appearances or other articles if you're interested
0: very good i'll put some of that in the show notes too so people can follow you and and get more updates on this really do appreciate your time thank you roy
1: thank you for having me on i appreciate it
0: thank you for listening to the chris spangle show if you've learned something if this was helpful to you then please share it that really helps us a lot and with that we say thank you for listening thank you to roy we will see you again soon